Welcome to the Mavens Do It Better podcast. And now, your host, Heather Newman. Hello, everyone. Here we are again for another episode of the Mavens Do It Better podcast, where we interview extraordinary experts that bring a light to our world. I could not be more excited to have a wonderful, wonderful artist on today, um, Karen Little. And uh, she came to me from dear friend Allison Gerlach out of Chicago. And uh, so we've been sort of chasing each other a little bit. And I'm so excited to, you, you and I are busy women. So we're trying to get on a podcast. And hello, <laughs> and thank you for coming on today. Well, thank you for inviting me, Heather. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I know that, um, you know, Allison works, you know, in the in the Chicago cultural world and and you do as well. And, you know, you're an artist in your own right and an educator and all of that. And um, how did you and Allison meet? I think that would be fun for folks to know. Yeah, so um, actually it was at um, a conference that the um, Department of Cultural Affairs organized called... Um, public art mm. and we were both um, attendees um, but I had I'd heard of her through a mutual friend of mine uh-huh. and and the work that she's doing so I was already familiar and I think you know because we both work in public performance as well yeah you know there was a a synchronicity there already yeah. in terms of the work that we're doing and our philosophies as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was the yeah the spark to the beginning of a friendship. <laughs> That's you know? wonderful. Yeah, she's one of my dearest friends in the whole world, and we're we're always saying, "Oh my goodness, you need to meet this person or have them on your podcast and all of that." We do a lot of sharing of goodness, <laughs> so it's always so. Big shout out to you, sweetheart. Yay, Ali Sue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and, and you're the um, the founder of Out of Sight Chicago. Will you talk about that a little bit? I know that's your your company. Yeah, so um, I started um, Out of Sight in 2011 mm-hmm. as a means of um, really taking culture uh, to the streets and um, bringing, taking culture out of the museums and into public space and and engaging the public in uh, dialogue, in critical discourse. So we create, we prioritize interactive public performances uh, because we're interested in like really facilitating a direct conversation uh, with with the public and people that wouldn't normally um, enter a museum context, mm-hmm. and um, and um, really kind of thinking about and and the other thing that I did was also to think about creating a funding structure. Uh, to support artists sure. in their practice, because at that moment in time, a lot of performance artists in the city were uh, working for free and not feeling um, very supported. So it was also to create a support structure, and then as part of that funding structure, to also invite international artists, so we could really build um, the performance 
uh, dialogue um, beyond the city and create opportunities for local artists and um, facilitate uh, more diverse conversations about practice um, in relationship to performance. And, um, yeah, really thinking about how public, you know, breaking, I mean, what's quite unique about Out of Sight is the methodology that I've used um, to facilitate the public performances. So we have a steward place, a steward team who are in place to facilitate a critical discourse with the public. And um, there, there is a support between, like a mediator between the artist and the public, because often, you know, when you come across performance art, it's like this weirdest thing happening <laughs> on the street. Right. Um, right. So, you know, we really wanted, rather than just confront people with the shock of what they are seeing, mm-hmm. we really wanted to create space where they would unpack it and uh, create yeah, create a conversation to go deeper um, into the ideas that the artist is thinking about and investigating. Right. That's great. I mean, so you've created a methodology and I love it that you're advocating for, you know, fair wages and, and that's part of, you know, you you work in sort of public art policy as well in the city of Chicago as well. Yeah. 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 So I sit on, I was invited on to uh, the Arts Committee for mm. Wicker Park and Bucktown okay. in 2010. Right. And I've really, you know, from the get-go, I um, created policies um, to and advocated for all the money to go directly to artists. Prior to that... Often the money um, that is allocated to the arts in the neighborhood was going to like one consulting firm, oh. and um, so we, uh, so so I really like we started ha- creating RFPs so people knew we had the money, yeah, you know. Right. So really putting in the basic infrastructure to make sure that artists. Um, had the you know knew about the opportunities and could apply for funding but then also creating um, minimum amounts so um, thinking about what does it cost for a muralist to to live and produce the mural that might take two weeks or a month right you know it's not just about paying for the materials you've got to pay for the labor time and for their living expenses while they're doing the work right so really kind of so i lobbied a lot in the early days Mm -hmm. um to um create a minimum um in terms of our budgeting uh which uh, we've raised over the years. I'm, I'm happy to say, because um, <laughs> that's an ongoing conversation about sure. how we how we kind of increase our wages with um, value. You know, with um, the rise in oh, in living yeah, stand. Sure. Yeah, well, that's you know. Mm, absolutely. And um, 
So, and then also, and then when I was artist in residence for uh, the Cultural Center, mm-hmm. I thought, well, as artist in residence, I should, I could actually kind of write some policies. <laughs> you know? sure. I mean, although I was doing my work, right. I was like, oh, I could also like advocate for yeah. others. Right on. Uh, so then. I, one day, I just happened to sit down and write this paper uh-huh. of all the all the policies that I'd created for the for the neighborhood, and then quite um, accidentally, I went in to rehearse that evening at the cultural center, and the deputy uh, cultural commissioner said to me, "Oh, Corin." could I have a paper with all the policies you've written for the Wicker Park? Oh, goodness, that's awesome. <laughs> my desk by tomorrow morning. And I was like, okay. Yeah. You know, actually, I just wrote it today. <laughs> <laughs> so I quickly went home after rehearsal, edited it, and sent it all on. So... And then they adopted those policies, you know, within the next, yeah. you know, within months. Sure. So... You know, I do think it's really important that artists uh, sit on funding committees. Yeah. I, I'm the only one uh, sitting on our uh, committee. Right. And so often now I'm in a position where they'll look to me to actually decide how much something is funded. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. E- even, you know, art is... I, w- uh, I was a theater major in Seattle, and but I, I think I, w- I think we talked about this, or you know this from Allison, is that I grew up outside of Chicago, and so I yes. when I was a teenager, I would um, tell my parents I was going to go to the mall, and I would drive into the city, and I would go to the Art Institute, and I would sit in the Impressionist room and stare at that Paris Street rainy day, beautiful painting. Uh and the Chagall windows and I, you know, like I wasn't, you know, back in the alley, I was at the art museum, you know, so, <laughs> um, but I do think, you know, there's a, my the, kind of woman. yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, I, there is a business to art, you know, and there's a, and there are, there's policy and all of it. And I do think I agree with you a hundred percent that, you know, if, if we're not in positions to make the rules and make the, you know, policies, then that's left to other people's hands. And we know what happens sometimes when it's left to other people, you know? So I love that, you know, you're, you're an artist, but you also obviously, you know, it's another gift that you bring to the world as an artist of the business of the art, right? Or the business of being an artist. And, and I'm sure in part of your education and teaching and all of that, that's something that goes along with, writing poetry and and doing you know performances and all of that and that's that's really cool um that you found your way into that you know even like all of a sudden somebody asks you do you have it you're like i wrote it today that's a month that's amazing yeah yeah you know it's interesting you know i am i was either gonna be a politician or or an artist Ah. when i was growing up and i I think I was, you know, I was trained in public speaking when I was 10 years old, oh. which is kind of crazy. Yep, sure. And I think, you know, my uh, parents, you know, really wanted me to to be, uh, to 
go into politics in some form. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but I was never happy with the didactic nature of politics. And then I saw that art was something and culture was something that could really kind of engage in this mutual conversation. It wasn't about converting, but it, it had, it, it educated people or it, it was a, a more, um, you know, gentle invitation to mm. go deeper right. into ideas. Yep. And I think that's why I, I kind of decided to be an artist because I didn't want to go down the didactic road yep. and mm. be in a position where I was having to persuade people to agree with me. Right. But I, I kind of believe, I do believe in the power of art mm-hmm. uh, to fundamentally change culture over time. Yeah. You know, it is a, it's a long road. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, that's for sure. I mean, we stand on the shoulders of many giants, you know, in those in that change, in that revolution, in the, you know, hearts and minds of people, for sure. I, I want to, um, I want to ask you, you mentioned your, your parents and, um, you I, I, you know, I could, first of all, I could listen to you talk for like a week done. Like I am an <laughs> Anglophile of, of epic proportion. And, uh, will you talk about, um, where you're from? Um, so it's a long story, actually, but I'll try and keep it brief. Okay. I was born in North Carolina, oh, believe wow. it or not. Okay. Uh, to, to Scottish parents. Ah, yes. Okay. So, um, my father was one of two people selected to take an exam. Um, and the person that got selected from Scotland would do their PhD at Duke University. Oh. So my father um, was selected. He he was a theologian, mm-hmm. and um, I popped out the day after my mum finished typing my dad's PhD. Oh. Um, <laughs> So, <laughs> so yeah, like like one does because all those every marriage and partnership and relationships, right? It's all you do it all together. That's super cool. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Neat. And then uh, we moved back to the UK mm-hmm. and um, uh, to Scotland, uh-huh. and uh, then you know then from scotland we moved to devon and then to the north of england mm. and then i got into i i got into goldsmiths in london so i went to london okay so yeah yeah wow so, yeah. I've only met one other person who speaks exactly like me, uh-huh. and she grew up in America, lived in Glasgow, okay. and then lived in London. Oh, so we've wow. kind of done the same but opposite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Ah, oh, well, cool. Yeah, I love, I love it. I was like, ah, oh. Allison was like, you're gonna love her accent. You're gonna. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. I love it. Music to my ears. Um, and and you know, you uh, we were talking earlier before we jumped on recording, and we were just starting to talk about um, this really cool project that you're working on, the um, spare rib, and then some some of the pieces of it. And I would love it if you would share with our listeners what that project is about. I think that would be great. I think they would love it. Yeah. So um, for quite 
a while I've been writing poetry inspired by interviews uh, with the public. And um, so I'm currently working on a project called Spare Rib Revisited, where I'm invited by uh, different cities to uh, visit and interview women between the ages of 20 to 100. And, and after interviewing the women, I write poetry inspired by the interviews. And, you know, I think when, when you're working um, in, the, in the way in which I work, it's really, so whenever I arrange with a city to go and uh, do Spare Rib Revisited, I always ask the host, the hosting producers to organize a performance mm. because it's really important that I share, that I first share um, the personal stories and and the poetry that comes out of those conversations and that um, future participants um, actually get to see how I uh, share people's personal stories mm -hmm. and the kind of culmination of how that transforms into poetry because it it is, um, it's kind of, it's unique yeah. and it, it does take um, it. Each poem is const constructed in its own lyrical form. So yeah, I mean, you're writing something based on um, a a person's life and their story. That makes tons of sense, right? So that's so cool. And um, you would you were you would recited a poem uh, to me earlier. And I was wondering if you would talk about that experience and that poem a little bit and maybe give it to us for our listeners to hear too. I think that would be amazing. <laughs> if you would. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Thank you. So um, this poem is was written for Sylvia Hickens. And Sylvia, uh, designed the pattern for the pink pussy hats that went viral for the women's marches. Yeah. And she's a long-term activist and she's really focused on the health of women's bodies. And um, she's a poet and writer. And she, part of this poem talks about a performance that she organized um, to protest the potential closure of the only hospital that is dedicated to women uh, that is in Liverpool. And it's the only women's hospital in the whole UK. Wow. And uh, Margaret Thatcher um, tried to close the hospital in the 1980s. Mm -hmm. And Sylvia Hickens was really important in terms of she organized the protest to keep that open. And um, and she's also, she was also part of, um, so both Reagan and Thatcher had these lists, and I, I know they existed under McCarthy as well, of people that were, um, you know, on the far left or yeah. uh, radical uh, and um, so Sylvia Hickens was also on um, Thatcher's list 
so you know it was I think uh, Tony Benn uh, revealed all the names on that list right. in the early two. Yeah. But um, this this poem is uh, for Sylvia Hickens, and it's called The Long Road. Okay. If my body were bound between two sleeves of a book jacket, what would it say? Would it perform out of the page, or would it remain stitched between the sleeves, hoping to reach prosperity, stamped in different languages? If my body were you, what would you say? Would you dance on army tankers in the fresh morning dew or chant harmonies at Greenham Common and write dreams on pillow slips? Would you look the policeman in the eye who defied humanity as he stabbed me in the left shoulder with a sharp metal fork? Would your body bear witness to history? Stitched with the scars marking the date, sending viral news stories across media channels. Would your body listen to the visible spectacle, wearing an orange jacket, flashing alarm bells, marking the target? Would your body bear witness to the violence of history? Passed down the line of a ringtone, written in Morse code, a war won, a war lost. It's all the same when the bombs drop, killing our children, destroying our homes, lives lost in the wreckage. Would your body listen to the ghosts in this city? Would your body listen to the needs of this city? Walking in numbers, performing in silence, wearing white doctor's coats, counting hospital beds. What does your body need? What does it need stitched between pages and words, if not liberty? A life dedicated to tomorrow. Tell me, what does that look like? Tell me, speak it. Tell me, speak it. Thank you. You made me cry again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, wow. That's really moving. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's like, ah, uh, it's so drippy and dreamy of, of and so powerful and the liberty. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Um, wow. And- yeah, well, I really, I was really thinking about... Um, you know, how writing mm-hmm. um, is also a form of liberty. Yeah. And I listened to uh, I listened to the Women's Hour uh, daily podcast on the BBC. Mm-hmm. And um, they were talking about how we're not going to reach pay equality mm-hmm. until 2167. Wow. And so I was like, oh, gosh. A lot of work to do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, wow. That's that's too far off. <laughs> I, mean, you know, I mean, it's always been yeah. too far off, I guess, you know, but um, wow. Yeah. I, I And your process around this and these. So you so you do you sit so you sit down with someone and you have an interview and you speak with them 
and then you create the poem yes yeah, so I, um, I've i developed a process. I've noticed that if I take written notes, mm-hmm. um, I actually am able to formulate the, the structure of the poem. Um, it starts to kind of build sure. in my head. Mm-hmm. I mean, some take, you know, some take days to write. I mean, every poem takes a while right. to edit. Mm-hmm. You know, and they go through and, you know, performing the pieces actually kind of helps refine. Uh, That piece was actually a lot longer and Uh through performance workshops, Mm -hmm. I've kind of trimmed it down. But, um, yeah, there's, um, you know, definitely writing notes during the interview helps me formulate the structure of the poem. Right. And then, because there's this direct relationship between um, the hand and the brain, yeah. I think you know Albrecht Dürer uh, talks about uh, drawing being linked to, to the precision of thinking, mm. and you know I'm really interested in how this kind of I always use a pencil and I have notebooks. Mm, okay, <laughs> yeah. That, notebooks with special paper you know yeah and it's uh yeah definitely and then after that process um i real i do a lot of research i kind of and then one often in the morning i'll wake up and i'll have a rough draft right and then i'll be able to work on that for the rest you know for it might take a day or right. it might take a week. That's so cool. So. I, yeah, I, I, you know, I have my own quirky things that, you know, I don't even know if it's quirky, but it's just if you, if you're a writer of like the pen, the paper that, you know, or, and I, and I actually found I do both with, I write on my laptop. I love a program called OneNote and I write there and I write in different things. It sort of depends, you know, but we all have our, I don't know what feels good. I love it that you mentioned Duar because uh, there's a the. Do you know the his drawing or uh, the hair? It's a rat, the rabbit, the one of the rabbit. Mm. Um, yes. That uh, that's always always hung in my parents' home, and it was oh. one of the things. And I told my mom, I was like, "Do not sell that in a garage sale." One, because I want it, <laughs> you know, because she's a big garage sailor. <laughs> but I was like, but I was like, how did you pick that, you know, and. Cause she's, you know, she, she, she likes art and stuff, but it, you know, she was like, I don't know. I just thought the rabbit was cute. And I was like, okay, perfect. You know, and it was always something <laughs> in my, in my home when, as a, as a kid, you know, that I, that I think, and then I went and found it so I could, you know, see it, um, in the flesh one time too. So that was kind of cool, but yeah. So, wow. I think it's so cool what you're doing. Um, and, uh, so with the spare rib, uh, revisited. How many cities have you actually done this in? Um, so I I was in Lucerne, um, in Switzerland in 2016, oh, wow. and um, then they invited me uh, back last year to perform in uh, their spoken words festival mm. uh, called Words, and. And then I did it in Liverpool last year. Mm. And then I'm hoping I've just received an invitation to go do it in Athens oh, this wow. year. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
Wow. So, it, yeah. yeah. So we'll see what happens with that. So that's super yeah. cool. That would be awesome. And obviously, have you been? You've been doing it in Chicago as well. Yes. Um, well, Chicago, so, I'm still waiting for Chicago to fund me. Oh, well, Chicago, <laughs> we have a message for Chicago, my hometown. Get on it. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> oh, that's so, so cool. I'm hoping 2020 will be the year, right? you know, because it is um, a special year for yeah, women. So absolutely. it would be amazing yeah. if we were. I know. I know I've been finding you know I the I I um I I was in England um last month and I took a trip to visit a friend in Manchester and I hadn't been there before um and I got a, a moment to go over and um go to the Pankhurst's house there um yeah. the you know start of the suffragist movement and yeah. that was pretty special um and I don't know, you know, it's it's interesting. I sometimes it, when you talk about story and poetry, I think, you know, it's like the artist's job and writer and all and theater, you know, is to one to tell stories but also preserve stories, right? Um do you find that you feel like in the last bit with everything that's been going on with all the different movements, you know, are you feeling that sort of women's stories bursting out in Chicago and there's more call for that sort of thing or what what are you feeling about sort of that whole movement? Um as an artist um well i think it's um you know it's still um a struggle you know in terms of you know really um creating the space for uh, women's voices Mm -hmm. and women's stories to be heard i think we're you know I think we're still, I mean, there's a lot of phenomenal organizations in Chicago that are doing great work. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I did ask, you know, we uh, lobbied the, the um, cultural commissioner to, um, like, you know, really uh, get behind next year's um you know next year is the centennial of women's suffrage in america and we really we're hoping that this becomes a a big dialogue you know across america as Mm -hmm. well you know but you know at local levels in cities uh, because I think, you know, there is um systemic inequality here. Um and you know there's the pay issue, there's the economic stability of women, but then, you know, that that also kind of manifests itself into a whole other, you know, whole other realms of, of issues that uh, women are facing in their personal lives. Yep. So I think we really have to, um, you know, the whole idea of equality really needs to be... Um, looked at it at local levels and yeah. institutions need to personally reflect on how they are um on the pay equity mm-hmm. issue yep. and i think if we can start getting that right i mean i know in the uk that they just um had this um survey where they're 
they're forcing all the companies throughout the country to declare um, the salaries of of women of everybody in the company so that they can analyze where you know where there is inequality right and the BBC uh, were the first people to do that and they were they were very embarrassed wow. yeah <laughs> yes I know I saw that so yeah absolutely I mean I think that's yeah. when you don't when you can't see something you can't address it necessarily right I mean and kudos to them yeah. for coming forward and, and doing that. And hopefully that'll bring more, more people, you know, and watching the U S you know, or watching the FIFA, watching the world cup, watching the soccer team, you know, there's all of it. It just, um, hopefully more and more of that will come, especially with next year coming, you know, it should be a celebration and also a time for us to have a bit of a reckoning, I think of how we treat each other. And I speak a lot and, technology the technology world on diversity and inclusion in women and I find that you know like people do want or looking to help and looking to change and there's allyship all over the place but I, I do feel like one it starts with each of us as an individual but it also starts with companies stepping up you know and saying yeah. we want to address it and look at this and, uh, right yeah and it's not about like placing blame no, or you know right. being negative about yep. it it's just like okay we need to address you know we need to move forward yep. we need to um you know create a world where you know people are 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 thriving and striving you yep. know i mm-hmm. mean it's not it's not about um yeah so you know and i think there has been a collapse um you know especially you know when we look at academia i think there's a a large conversation happening across the country about um how the majority of the part-time labor force are in fact female or women academics Mm -hmm. and um you know there's a college in California that has 92% that are um, that are part-time mm. and you know where I worked at the Art Institute you know it's 70% and you know the rise of the part-time labor force you know is having a you know we really have to be realistic that this is having a detrimental impact on the stability of the economy as well because when people don't you know i mean there's so many ramifications that are happening but on the good um point i mean i could (laughs) (laughs) i could find out that much yeah yeah but um you know the there is uh so i sit i also sit on the national women in the arts committee Mm. And we were able to, for the College Arts Association, which is an art history organization in America, Uh and we voted unanimously uh, for the conference next year that comes to Chicago um, to uh, dedicate 50% of its programming to women and women-identified scholarship and 
artistic practice oh, okay. and we just found out this week that that's happening oh, and that's gone through. so that's a huge the fact that the the organization supported mm. that that petition yeah. uh to move forward with that policy is is wonderful you yeah. know so that's so great step by step yes yeah. inch by inch step by step for sure and what uh, i just love what you're doing and what you're bringing to the world it's so cool um you know i i i usually ask at the at the end about um sparks i'm i'm very interested in moments micro moments and the macro moments of our lives and and also what if there was a moment or a person or a something that that sort of led you down the path of like, yes, this is what I want to do with my life. Is there something that comes to mind that you wouldn't mind sharing with our listeners, your spark? Well, gosh, there's, and there's, I know that I know there's always a lot, but you know, everybody's like, are you, are you kidding me? It's like asking me my favorite food, but you know, like, (laughs) yeah, you know, there, um, so, you know, my, I guess, you know, my, both my parents, you know, my, were, um, you know, political activists Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, were very influential in terms of, you know, my, my life, uh, Mm -hmm. both brilliant uh, people. And so I think that there was a moment um where i was i was so my professor i i've been still in touch with um all of my professors from goldsmiths uh-huh. in london and they've been super supportive of my career my whole life and um i used to live down the road from the critical theory person uh panina barnett mm-hmm. and she's she rang me up one day and she said corin uh, i've got a ticket to a conference called sex shame and sexuality at the tape modern <laughs> you want to come and i was like oh yes that sounds interesting. Uh-huh. Sex, shape, and sexuality. Yes. Wow. <laughs> and it's organized by the Freud Museum. Wow. That sounds interesting. <laughs> so I um, I went along and then, you know, it was really uh, one of those, um, the, the Tate does some great conferences. Mm-hmm. And then I was invited to a lunch with uh, Griselda Pollock, Panina Barnett and um, the director of the Freud Museum and I think maybe there was one other person Uh and it was one of those moments where I'm sat around the lunch table with these like phenomenal women and I'd been teaching I'd done my degree my master's and I'd been teaching in London for for like seven years maybe at that point in high schools and I said to myself wow you know I've been educated by these women I've been brought up by feminists you know that I take that I go out into the world and and do things so that was a 
uh, moment and then it was wonderful because I was walking across the Millennium Bridge hmm. and Jenny Holzer had a public artwork projected onto St. Paul's Cathedral and there was the words, um, there was um, the text um, in Urdu that means peace and you know there was like God you know and she and there was just all Allah and just all of these um, these words that you know were speaking about peace they were speaking to different religions and so you know that was a, a critical moment and actually what was special uh, when I went and did the spare rib project in Liverpool it was right after the the bombings mm. um, at the Ariana concert uh -huh. in yep. Manchester yeah it was it was very it was like within like I think I arrived like 10 days after the bombings uh -huh. And I was invited, and then when I arrived in Liverpool, I was um, speaking with, I met some Asian women at an event, at a luncheon or a dinner, and they, inv they invited me to a meeting at the local mosque. Oh. And so I'm sad around this table. <laughs> and <laughs> Another the table. table. Was, the table was like 50 feet long wow or, you know 30. Yeah. i mean it was a long table mm -hmm. and there were, you know five women were sat at one side all the men were sat at the other side and i sat myself in the middle <laughs> yeah. and you know i just listened i was there to observe the conversation and listen and you know, at the end of the conversation, um, you know, the, I, they wanted my uh, perspective. And everybody who spoke, spoke with intelligence and thoughtfulness. And because I grew up in the north of England, I'm very astutely aware of the hatred that is uh, perpetrated to uh, young Asian children growing up in the schools mm. and the systemic racism that is so prevalent um, and particularly in the <clears throat> in the north of England where there are large um, Indian and Pakistani populations mm -hmm. and you know I, I spoke I just, you know, I spoke about this at this meeting and, you know, and I, you know, to share my perspective that, that if we, when we treat others with so much hatred from a young age as they're growing up into the world, um, we're, we're going to inspire um, angry young people yeah. who then do join ISIS and become terrorists. So we really have to think about, you know, how, how are we putting care into our 
institutions to mm -hmm. care for young people at an early age right as they grow up through the systems yeah or through our societies you know mm -hmm. absolutely it sounds to me like there there was some sparks but there continues to be and i it's great to hear that you're a person that that is that is one providing a table you know for people to sit at and to learn and to hear different stories and that you're also you know, being asked to be part of tables where those kinds of dialogues are happening in our world, you know, that's, I, I think that's really important. Oh, wow. Um, I'm so blown away by all the good things that you're doing. It's so great. Um, and, and maybe, maybe to, to close out, what's, what's next? What's next on your plate? Speaking of tables. Hmm. Um, so I am doing out of sight um, at the end of July mm -hmm. in um, in Chicago. Um, so we've got uh, the Swiss artists uh, Patrick Gehrig and Saskia Germain and Sir Jonah Zenobia and uh, one of Papu Banks and wow. um, Anna Brown and. Um, one of her and Erin Delaney okay. who are doing and it just kind of so happens that all of their interactive performances are really thinking about these ideas of of care mm. and how how we and um, the the Swiss artists are going to be singing the public's uh, blessings mm in uh, in this ancient uh, Swiss tradition of the Betruf. Uh, so that's going to be fun. Mm. And yeah, so um, creating public performance and then hopefully off to Athens in yeah. October. And I've been invited um, to Budapest mm. in August and I'm going to be running a whole series of uh, workshops on interactive public performance oh, cool. and performing and um, yeah, and giving artists presentations. And then after that, I'm going up to Riga, Latvia uh, to do a public performance there and um, give a presentation. So, yeah. So, you're a busy lady. <laughs> oh, that's... A lot of travel. Yeah, yeah. And meeting the wrong people, you know. Yeah, no, I, I'm, a, I'm a traveler myself. So, I have friends in Budapest that I'm going to make sure and connect you with, too. So, that, that'll be Oh, fun. that would be lovely. Yeah. I'm actually, I do want to go to, I've got six days between um, Sofia and mm. Riga. So, I do want to okay. stop in Budapest okay. and Prague on the way. Oh, so. lovely. Yeah, I'm going to go to Prague um, in December for a technology show, and I've never been, and I can't wait to go see the, all the MUCA, you know? Yeah. <laughs> for yeah. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, cool. Well, um, Corin, thank you so much for being on today and sharing your story with all, with all of our listeners. I really, I, I'm so, and the, that poem, my goodness, thank you so much. Well, thank you, Heather, for inviting me. You know, it's special to have the opportunity to talk to you. And, uh, yeah, thank you so much for all the work that you're doing, oh, you know. You. Yeah, yeah. It's um, yeah. We, mirror, we mirror goodness in each other, I think, you know, when 
or doing this kind of work and I just thank you for that and and thank you for what you do and and you'll probably see Allison before I do so you have to give her a hug for me so <laughs> I love it. a big special cuddle I love, perfect I love that even better that's awesome okay well thank you Karen and um yeah absolutely so everyone um we'll put all the goodness um in the show notes uh links to things and so you know, we can find you on the twitterati's and linkedin's and all that kind of fun stuff and uh this has been another mavens do it better podcast uh, you can find us on itunes and stitcher and spotify and our website and all the great places where you listen to podcasts so here's to another beautiful big blue day on this spinning sphere thank you thank you The original music on this podcast was created by Jesse Case.